Have you ever wondered what a day in the life of a BIM manager consists of? Or if you are a BIM manager yourself, are you curious about how your workload stacks up against your peers? Are you intrigued about the day-to-day task and what the responsibilities are of a job where the AEC industry projects 20% growth over the next few years? Now, the job title of a BIM manager comes from the days of CAD management, and the role, of course, is ever, ever evolving. In today's conversation, we will cover what a BIM manager is, what are their responsibilities, and how they implement BIM standards, and some of the tools and technologies that they oversee, and how they will handle this huge problem of BIM content management within their firm. So let's get after it. Welcome to the BEM for All podcast. Here's our host, Mel Wallace. Hey guys, welcome to BEM for All. And our topic today is the day in the life of a BEM manager. Now, I'm excited. I'm excited about this topic, but more excited about our subject matter expert. She will share her perspective on what it takes to actually walk through the day in the life of a BEM manager. So today we want to give a warm welcome to Charlene Che of Grimshaw Architects. Thanks for having me. One of the things we always want to do with BIM for All is to make sure that we're speaking to people that are literally on the front lines, you know, of of the BIM world and and not just talk theory, but talk and kind of have conversations with people that are working in this each and every day. So our topic today is the day in the life of a BIM manager. And and to all of our BIM for All listeners, uh, I want to give you a bit of context of our subject matter expert. Charlene has more than 11 years experience in the architectural industry. Um, She's a graduate from University of Texas, and she's the studio BIM manager of Grimshaw Architects. Grimshaw, of course, is an esteemed international architectural practice that delivers buildings, infrastructure, and places that are underpinned by the principles of humane, enduring, and sustainable design. They have offices in New York, Los Angeles, London, Paris, Dubai, Melbourne, and Sydney. They've been honored across the world for their exceptional work in architectural design. When we have conversations with, you know, with any of our, uh, I hate to keep saying guests, but any of our, any of our uh, subject matter experts is to try to get to know them a little bit, right? Um, We have a little bit of time, but we're just trying to get them to know know them as, as best we can. Now, Folks, in full disclosure, Charlene and I, you know, have worked together in the past, but we want to have a little fun with this, right? So I'll ask you a few questions, Charlene, uh, just to kind of break the ice, right? You know, and these are these are easy questions. We call them softball questions. But um, right now, what, what's your favorite book or, or something that you're reading right now? What's your favorite interest as it reads? Wow, uh, that is not a question I expected. For this podcast, <laughs> uh, I just finished Free Food for Millionaires. Wow. Okay. Which is about a young woman, I believe, in the early 90s who is trying to make her way in New York 
professionally and wow. is finding it difficult. She okay. also happens to be of Korean American descent, which I am as well. So awesome. it's awesome. very relatable, hit home pretty hard and felt like it was in a way a mirror of myself coming to New York on my own right. after school. And I've been here for 11 years now, but my wow. family lives in Texas and my parents are immigrants from Korea right. and intend to retire there actually quite soon this year. So it was a very relatable novel. Um, and the author, Min Jin Lee, also wrote Pachinko, which is okay. yep. a major, you know, it was a major yeah. hit a few years ago as it well. Is. But- it is. It's a, uh, yeah, it's definitely a major literary yeah, but um, Free Food for Millionaires is her first novel, and okay. it's it's excellent. Highly awesome. recommend. Awesome, awesome. And, and you know, one of the things you know that it always gives or shares insight when you kind of you know see what people are reading. You know, uh, this morning before our, our, our call today, it, I checked the weather. It's like twenty seven degrees in New York City. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so my next cool. question, hopefully, is to a warmer place. <laughs> From uh, I guess vacations that you have taken, you know, in the past, where would you revisit, or is there a place where you would like to go that you haven't visited? Uh, I went to Slovenia last summer uh, wow. on a week long hiking trip with a college friend, and okay. honestly, one of the best places I've ever visited in my life. Wow, it's so beautiful, so clean. The people are wonderful, and it's. I, I I have kind of a a goal to only take nature focused trips from now on, right, right? And it was I went in midsummer, so it was absolutely gorgeous, and would love to go again this year if I can get a chance. Awesome, awesome! It, it sounds like an interesting um, trip. I, I know you know a lot of a lot of folks that uh, they go to Costa Rica, particularly for you know for like mm-hmm. nature. Um, I think they call it environmental. Uh, tourism now or something along those lines where they're going, you know, and really it's not for the, it's not for the all-inclusive package, but it's really more about experiencing nature in its truest form. Last question. Last question, Charlene. Android or iOS? Oh, absolutely Android. Okay. All right. All right. Man, you didn't hesitate at all. Didn't hesitate at all that. But uh, but no, so you know we, we like to have a little bit of fun and, and to kind of you know get the conversation going. But I do want to. That's a dangerous one. Well, it, it is, and it can be. It can be because uh, particularly, I guess, in, in the industry, it's always interesting to see uh, people's personal preference as it relates, you know, to their mobile devices, right? But I do want to pivot. I do want to pivot, you know, uh, to get right kind of into our topic: the day in the life of a BIM manager. And you just, you shared something just a second ago about the book that you're reading and how you felt that it mirrors your life. Your parents rather, you know, are immigrants coming from another country and now they have a daughter that's in the architectural industry and all those things that are involved in, in that life story. So, so my question is, when did you know that you wanted to be an architect? That question doesn't quite have a real answer. I would say growing up, I was very focused on, you know, I was the typical nerd. I made all, you know, straight A's and worked hard. It just came naturally. I also grew up in a very small town and I understood that without doing that, I wouldn't be able to leave it. (laughs) So uh, I I hadn't really thought about career. My, My parents, you know, being typical 
immigrant parents tried to steer me in the direction of medicine or engineering or law, but none of it really appealed to me. I knew that I was good at math. I was good at sort of calculating and looking at things from a very technical perspective, but I also Mm -hmm. had a creative side. Both of my parents are very creative focused. Uh, My dad is a jeweler by trade. Wow. But uh, before the economy crashed pretty badly in Korea in the 70s and 80s, he was studying to be a French literature professor. And my mom is also very, she did a lot of art growing up and she's just, she's very crafty. Right. So I, I grew up, you know, doing a lot of tactile hobbies. I sew a lot. I like to build things. And someone just kind of mentioned architecture sometime in high school, hadn't really thought about it. Okay. And then our career counselor came by and asked me if I wanted to join this summer college program at Cornell that's made for architects. And they offered me a scholarship. So I went and realized that I really enjoyed the aspect of design, about Mm -hmm. understanding space, and how the decisions that you make in the design process can really affect the experience of a person using that space. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and, and that's, that is, that's, that's why you're a BIM manager. <laughs> you I mean, know. there was, there was kind of a winding it's, it's path. Like the building blocks, yeah. you know, of, of exactly. getting there. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and I think that's, 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 that is fascinating. You know, one of the things we always, you know, try to, you know, in our attempt to try to understand the person kind of takes us to our next point is that why did you choose or pursue the career of architecture? If I had to add, I guess, you know, some some additional context to that, it, it sounds like, you know, you came from a creative environment, right? You know, particularly at home. Um, and that creativity is what led you into, you know, to the architectural space. Um, and I think that's still, as we get into our conversation today, and I, hopefully you'll agree, that creativity is one of the requirements of an effective BIM manager to be creative, to figure out how to find solutions to problems and those kind of things, right? So as our, our topic of our discussion today, Charlene, is about the day in the life of a BIM manager. Um, and you've, you've been doing this you know, successfully for, for a number of years, right? So your perspective is important. What is your idea of what a BIM manager is? I would say that depending on where you work and what sort of products you produce, it can be quite different. I would say the BIM industry is very broad uh, and sometimes it can be one black Mm -hmm. and white type of subject matter. But in reality, there's different types of BIM for, for manufacturing, for construction, for design. Uh, and even, you know, kind of cut and dry cookie cutter development as well. Right. And I've seen it extend into procurement, into right. uh, just just smaller design build and also in the startup world. But I would say a, a typical BIM manager, at least at Grimshaw, since we are a design focused firm, is about providing the technology to enable the architects to design better and more efficiently. So we we focus on education for the architects. We focus mm-hmm. on giving them the right tools, developing tools and studying different tools that are in the industry, and then also providing the right strategy for them to execute their projects. 
And depending on the project, we also are external facing with the client or different consultants as well. So there's a lot of coordination going on with different disciplines across engineering, uh, as well as any other disciplines involved in the project. We do a lot of transportation. So we will also be consulting with people who design tracks or understand the circulation of a larger train terminal. So there's a lot of involvement in many different directions uh, for someone at Grimshaw. But I've also worked in other kind of parallel industries, I would say, in different programs. So for example, I worked at WeWork for several years when they Mm -hmm. were on their high. Uh, (laughs) That was before the Netflix Netflix movie. That was before Netflix, uh, which was disturbingly accurate. Uh, And there, BIM was used for a lot of automation because the product was pretty much the same everywhere. It was a way of how to make the process more efficient, uh, how to automate as much as possible. Mm -hmm. And BIM was the right tool for that, both in the design, the execution, and then the facilities management. So it really can vary depending on what you're working on. And you make a great distinction there because BIM, despite what everyone thinks, it's kind of like the term digital twin. You know, Mm -hmm. there's eight different answers to that, right? What is a digital twin? And it's kind of the same thing when you talk about what what is a BIM manager? And things you just said, Charlene, things you you talked about, uh, finding ways to automate routines, for example. And we'll get into this, I guess, a little bit more detail, but standards, productivity, being able to provide training sessions, you know, to the design team and other stakeholders, how to use these technologies properly across, you know, the, the face of their company. Do you ever get involved, I guess, in like the, the, I mean, obviously, you know, Revit is, is, is pretty much the front runner as we talk about BIM, you know, as the application that most groups are using. Mm-hmm. But Revit alone doesn't make, you know, a Revit power user doesn't make you a BIM manager, right? Correct. I mean, it's, 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 it's more to that. Um, and, and again, just going back to your point, you just said it's, it's almost like, you're you're the quarterback to use an expression, right? You know, of the team, and you're having to move. You're going to lose me very quickly. I know, I know, and I just want to use a sports analogy. That's the first thing that came <laughs> to my head. But you're 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 the you're the facilitator. That's a better word. You're the facilitator. Yeah. You know, of all the pieces, you know, within the organization. You know, can you, I guess, share with us how does that work? Because you have all these moving pieces as the bin manager. How does that work in an organization? Yeah, I think at you know, at the places that I've worked in the past, you know, five to seven years, I've been very lucky that those companies had dedicated design technology factions within okay. the company itself, uh, which is separate from architecture. And that's because the company itself places an importance and a value in moving technology forward for architecture. Uh, not all companies are able to afford that. Uh, So I think I'm very lucky that I ended up at Grimshaw, where we have a lot of influence over how architecture teams carry out their design process and execute the product that we finally hand back to the client. So yes, I I agree. You You can't be a BIM manager just by becoming very good at Revit. Those people who are very good at Revit there, there are many companies out there who provide Revit support to, uh, to other firms. Mm-hmm. And that's a lot of kind of lather, rinse, repeat. They're providing a lot of those 
BIM skills in Revit. But what kind of distinguishes those people from a BIM manager is that there's an ability to look at overall strategy, whether it's for a specific project, it could be as complex as a project with 20 models in it, um, or, you know, something really small, uh, as well as looking at a strategy for the entire studio, and then how that studio contributes to the overall strategy globally. And we have a global design technology team at Grimshaw, um, in which BIM is one department of many. And I think we're very lucky that we have what my role is a studio BIM manager in each of the larger regions of our global enterprise, I would say, that meet pretty frequently to discuss strategy and how we can better each of the studios as well as the Grimshaw BIM strategy overall and push it forward by looking at new tools, um, going, you know, attending conferences, looking at what is new in the industry, and then also just bringing up the digital literacy of the entire firm itself so that we can run as a more effective unit together. So you're responsible uh, for the New York studio? As well so as the New York and the, the LA studio. And the LA mm-hmm. studio. Okay. I just wanted to make sure because I, I saw that. You know, so as the AEC industry continues to to grow and evolve, you know, it, it goes without saying, Charlene, that the role of a BIM manager is becoming increasingly important. Yes. Um, to kind of summarize everything you just shared with us, you know, BIM managers are responsible for not only managing the building information models, the workflows, ensuring that all the data is, is processed and transmitted accurately. Um, they are also responsible to to manage these large amounts, you know, of data, right? Because models, uh, like like you said, you know, you can have 20, 30 models in one project, right? Mm-hmm. How do you, I mean, again, without giving away trade secrets, but how do you uh, attack that, you know, being able to manage these large amounts of data, you know, as the BIM manager? You know, you're hardly ever working alone. There's usually BIM managers in the consultant components of the project. So you're working together as a unit and typically one person is functions as more of the lead of the group. And that varies depending on the contract or what the client is asking for. So you, you pretty, you meet pretty much regularly, you rely on each other and you come up with a strategy together with one person leading and I'm sure anyone who works in BIM knows that there's a BIM execution plan, which is a document that is updated pretty regularly throughout the project process and is used to really lay out the strategy so that someone always can reference it and follow what they're what they're meant to do on the project. Otherwise, it would be complete chaos. chaos. (laughs) (laughs) And I've seen projects in chaos as well, so you learn a lot from those. Right. And, and I think, you know, which, you know, takes me to the next point, I think is uh, how do you ensure that the standards, the BIM execution plan, or, or even the design standards, the templates, I mean, how do you ensure that these things are being followed, Charlene, you know, through the project? Yeah. So uh, here, at least at Grimshaw, we have a pretty thorough QAQC process. Okay. Uh, most of it kind of starts with each of the project BIM managers. So BIM managers here who are dedicated to one or two projects uh, and sit on the design team with the architects. They are heavily okay. involved in understanding where the design is going, where the team is at, 
and they integrate themselves with the architecture team so that they are the known resource and they are made aware of all of the changes that are happening. So they're able to kind of stay live and understand about where, what direction the project is going and be able to provide insight, you know, change up the strategy, give advice. But then also we use a variety of tools as well from third parties that we've either purchased or gotcha. you know, found. Gotcha. Some of them so are it's free not, online. It's not one and done and they're out of the equation. No. I mean, they're part of it. Okay. Not at all. You, you have to stay flexible. Things are pretty fluid. Uh, some of the programs we used actively prevent uh, bad things from happening in the models. And Good. some of the other ones produce reports because right. sometimes you can let some things go. They, they have to happen right. uh, due to, you know, a complex geometry or just something unique about the project. So we kind of have a push and pull QAQC process to ensure that the projects don't need a massive cleanup time. Right. At the end. At yeah, to, no, the that, end. That, yeah. Yeah, that, that makes total sense. Cause it, you know, obviously, you know, one of the traits, if you will, or requirements, I would say for, our, you know, an effective BIM manager is the ability to collaborate, right. The ability to collaborate uh, with others, other teams, understand how the dots are connected. How does this impact each department, each part of the process in, in real time? So I know we're almost out of time here, but in the last kind of few minutes of our discussion, Charlene, you know, I wanted to get your perspective and you've shared a lot with us so far of what you see, or, or at least if you can give me, give me two or three benefits of, of having a BIM manager within your firm. What are the three benefits that you see? That's a hard question. Uh, <laughs> only three. Well, I mean, why okay. does it make sense? And you've shared some things. I mean, I could take what you've already really shared, but I, I think if we had to kind of go down a list, you know, for listeners that's listening to this this podcast, and they may not have a BIM manager like Grimshaw would, right? And they're considering this is 2024. They want to do this this new thing in BIM. Why would a group or how would a group, a firm, you know, benefit from having someone like Charlene? you know, as a BIM manager in their organization? Yeah, I think, well, my job's a little bit different uh, because I manage the BIM team that is on the projects. Uh, but having BIM integrated into your studio or your design process, I think these days is almost essential. More and more clients are requiring that a BIM model be delivered as part of the right. actual product produced or the building or whatever you are working on. Uh, but also because it saves the firm time and money. If you invest, you, yep. you know, we are an investment. We are a little more expensive. I'm not going to lie. Uh, we're highly sought after and it is difficult to hire because people are taken up right. uh, at other firms. But without investing in that technology to make sure that all of your future projects are set up in a comfortable way, there, it's, it's likely that you're kind of losing extra time and extra money that could be spent elsewhere from a business mm -hmm. development perspective uh, because you're doing things in perhaps a more analog way. I know, right. you know, AutoCAD is still very prevalent. Uh, it's still, I think, the highest grossing. It is. Software Still, for it's, Autodesk. It's, yeah, yes. it's Autodesk's number one product. Yeah, is, is AutoCAD, right. which is you know mind blowing, right? After right. All these years, but Revit but, is still but, on the rise, and it will eventually right. become the absolute standard. In in many cases, it already is. Right. So, right. I think having an in-house person 
can help to, at first, I think probably the first six months to a year will be a lot of setup and a lot of Mm -hmm. overhead. But over time, it would integrate itself into every project and dramatically increase the result. Yeah, because you touch so many different pieces of the puzzle. I mean, you know, we could talk about how the BIM manager can help impact the project budget, right? By staying on budget, you know, by making sure that the data has the accuracy needed. Talk about the BIM manager's role in regulatory code compliance, um, for example. I mean, these are all the different touch points where a BIM manager could be effective. But I, I think kind of the, the you know, the, the summary to this is that BIM managers are in high demand, you're right? And they, to your point, Charlene, they help you save time. They help you save money throughout the design and construction process. And by understanding these skills of what a BIM manager truly should do, right, it makes it important for any firm that's considering this in 2024 or beyond to make sure you hire the right person. And what this really does at the end of the day, this gives you, you know, the firm owner or principal, this gives you the peace of mind, right, that your project will be completed, you know, on time and on budget. You know, I think those are some of the things, you know, that uh, we can definitely leave with our listeners. And Charlene, you know, kind of last point here, you know, how can our listeners get in touch with you or get more information on uh, Grimshaw Architects? Uh, I think LinkedIn is probably the best resource. Uh, Our website also has our very diverse portfolio of work and could just really take it from there. But I would say that you know, where we have our Instagram, we have our LinkedIn, as well as our website. And we have a lot of interesting work planned for the next couple of years. So awesome. keep your eyes peeled. Awesome. Hey, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode about the day in the life of a BIM manager. Thanks again. And I'll see you next time. We like to thank our corporate sponsor, Boyancy, helping you to make better decisions built on BIM.